Well, a word before I read our scripture. Last week in worship, we pondered the Beatitudes as they are presented in the Gospel of Luke. In those Beatitudes, Jesus proclaims blessings upon the poor and woes upon the rich. We reckoned with the awkward truth that the Gospel does not always sound like good news to people of privilege. This week, our reading continues right where we left off last week, in the middle of a lengthy teaching known as the Sermon on the Plain. Hear now the word of the Lord. Luke 6, verses 27 through 38. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to anyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. May God bless our understanding of this sacred text. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Another hard word from Jesus. If you came to church this morning hoping for a boost of feel-good religion, what can I say? At least we had fun blessing the underwear. (laughs) When we make a conscious effort to engage with the teachings of Jesus, we are reminded that he was considerably more complicated than the cartoonish reduction that sometimes creeps into our imaginations. A few short chapters ago, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus preached his first blistering sermon in the synagogue in Nazareth. The people's response? Text says this, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. All those people in the synagogue, 
They were his neighbors, the same people who had whispered rumors about his parents and heard his voice crack when he was a kid. The violent response to his early days of ministry, foreshadowing for what was yet to come when the authorities would conspire to silence the man whose voice threatened the religious and political status quo. Today's teaching threatens the status quo of the world by first threatening the status quo of our hearts. Jesus prescribes a way of living that is, in a word, bananas. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And all this talk of giving your shirt to the one who has stolen your coat, of offering forgiveness to the one who has caused you pain, utterly bananas, completely at odds with the cultural ethic, which is then and now, less love your enemies and more be nice to everyone, but take care of yourself and your family first. Yet Jesus' teachings here aren't merely at odds with that cultural ethic. They are at odds with our most fundamental instincts. If someone strikes you on the cheek, you have a central nervous system that kicks in. It doesn't care if you've decided to follow some radical rabbi from ancient Israel. Fight or flight, baby. Fight or flight. What on earth are we supposed to do with these all but impossible instructions? It does feel like these teachings should come with an asterisk. One preacher notes that this is a dangerous text that has often been misused in the past, especially by the church. It became a word preached to slaves and others in abusive relationships in order to keep them in their place. Jesus did not intend his words to be applied against the oppressed. This bears repeating. Jesus did not intend his words to be applied against the oppressed. Nothing makes me more enraged than hearing stories of domestic violence victims seeking help from their pastors and being told that they must bear their beatings like Jesus did. This is a heinous corruption of the gospel that happens all too often. In contrast, these words have been embraced by the oppressed with powerful consequences. They are, after all, some of the teachings that most directly inspired such peacemakers as Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. Nonviolent resistance is all about turning the other cheek, not for the thrill of bearing the brunt of more mistreatment, but for the sake of invoking compassion and empathy in witnesses, and perhaps even piercing the hearts of the oppressors themselves. 
Consider those brave people who marched across the bridge in Selma, Alabama, only to be beaten and bloodied by the authorities. Their refusal to fight back, their willingness to bless those who cursed them and turn the other cheek, literally and figuratively, changed the world. Sometimes it takes being shamed by love to be transformed by it. One of my favorite musicals is Les Miserables, based on the classic novel by Victor Hugo. You may know the story, it's such a popular one. It exqui exquisitely depicts how shame gives way to grace. After escaping from prison, Jean Valjean is welcomed into the home of a bishop who showers him with Christian hospitality. Over dinner, Jean Valjean recognizes that his knife and fork have value. So in the middle of the night, he takes off with the silverware. He is immediately caught by the police and dragged back to the parsonage so that the bishop can properly press charges against the thief. But when the bishop sees Valjean, he totally pulls a Jesus. He has mercy on the thief. He tells the police that the silverware was a gift meant to help him begin a new and honest life, and gift it becomes. The bishop's mercy is to Valjean at first like a heap of burning coals. He is overcome by shame, but he is changed. Forgiven and set free, he lives the rest of his life to bless others, even when given every reason to go back to his old crooked ways. He hates what is evil and clings to what is good. There is, of course, another example of love that has the power to shame us into transformation. I can think of someone who loved his enemy, who did not repay evil for evil, Someone who blessed those who persecuted him, praying that they would be forgiven. Someone who let his body be broken and blood spilled, so that his friends and enemies alike might have eternal life. He did not merely give us another hard word. He practiced precisely what he preached. The crucified Christ overcomes evil, not by force, but with sacrificial love. We who stand beneath that cross are deluged by that perfect love. And sometimes that love, like grace, burns a bit as we recognize that we have not lived and loved like Jesus. There's a cartoon, speaking of cartoons. The first slide shows a person praying, make me more like Jesus. And in the second slide, that same guy is on the cross. And the subtitle says, Oh, shoot. 
Our Savior does not want us to stay in that heartbreaking moment of shame. Our Savior wants us to be transformed, even when it means giving up our life, our sense of how life is supposed to be lived for me and mine, for you and yours. What on earth are we supposed to do with these all but impossible instructions? Follow them. Or, to put it more simply, follow him. 